idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Nox Mente. Tonight's guest is Freeman Fly. Freeman began his career discussing Illuminati social engineering through corporations and celebrity mind control. With predictions of 9-11 and the 1013 bank crash and the Obama birth conspiracy, no one could deny Freeman's insight of the esoteric nature in world politics and Hollywood. Opening with an in-depth exploration of Illuminati corporate logos and America's goddess Columbia, Freeman went on to become an award-winning television producer with the first-ever documentary on HARP, and he was the first to televise a documentary on chemtrails. Freeman has been a pioneer in talk radio and continues to do so with the Free Zone. Freeman, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Jay. This is a, a grand pleasure. You're legendary, Freeman. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you really have paved some ground and, and kept the bar very high. And uh, I'm c- completely honored to have you uh, in here for Nox Mente especially. We, we need to have you for the obelisk, but Nox Mente especially, so we can get into some of your your early private life and dive into these themes and what you think is the difference between all these states of com- uh, consciousness and, and where it's all going. Yeah, my, my life is surreal enough to be a walking lucid dream. <laughs> It probably is. It is. I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. It, yeah. <laughs> How is it where you are right now? Is it super hot? Uh, you know, it's always beautiful in Greenville. It's crazy to me. Um, I, I suppose it, it's like 97 out there at times, but uh, I don't really notice that it's just i love this i think it's like a perfect human habitat zone i've lived in every state in the united states so oh, that's, that's more than me i've done i've had a hundred moves in my life that, that but not uh, several within states all right i lived in a vehicle for 10 years so <laughs> oh yes i have i've done i've had i have a vardo still <laughs> I, some of us just have that in us freeman yeah, that was me. You know, when I was a kid, I, I packed up that little satchel on a stick, I swear to God, with a chicken leg in there. And I went walking and <laughs> yes. nothing was going to stop me. My parents had to search for hours. I had walked miles. And I was just on my way. I didn't, I didn't have a clue. <laughs> oh, wow. That yeah. Yeah. Same here. I was I think my first little trek out, I was six trying to get to my grandmother's in the town over. <laughs> yeah, we it, uh, it's the it's this thing. Some of us just have it. I, I, it's nice to encounter others. I guess I didn't realize you had that. I, didn't, I know you've been a lot of places, though. Yeah, yeah it's it's it started. As soon as high school ended, I became a beach bum. I just lived on the beach in my Camaro. Ooh, <laughs> now that's, the, yeah, that's there we go. I traded the Camaro in for a van, and seven people moved in my van with me. 
there were three of us in the Camaro at one point with a oh surfboard. So he used to fight to sleep in the passenger seat. <laughs> but it's yeah, like the queen bed of the car, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the only one with nothing because they had a surfboard in the back seat. So <laughs> and that big old hump for them. Anyway, Camaros are not made for sleeping. So I traded that in for a van. And from that moment, I was hooked. But I, I guess I've always been that, you know, even if we're going to talk about like dreaming and sleeping, it was always me and my little world under my sheets. I always slept under the sheets with my animals, my stuffed animals and my poodles. Yes. And had Ooh. my own little world in there. And, and I think that just carried forth like this little safety zone that I could always carry around with me, no matter if I was in a van or. Yes. That's very disturbing for a lot of people, you know, to have the carpet yanked out from underneath. You don't know where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do. And I, I, a lot of a lot of travelers panic uh, when I because I bring people with me that I've never traveled anywhere before. And watch them yeah. freak out. <laughs> it's a it, it's definitely it, it just you are those of us that understand that and know that way are just that way. And I've always thought from, I, I've always had the, the sheets has definitely been a thing for me and forts in the woods when I was little and all that. But there's a, for me, it's like this bigger idea. We're transient here anyway. And so it just always seemed to extend to my apparent reality somehow where this is all kind of a transient experience, whether it's in the mind or physical uh, or interdimensional, wherever it is, it's, it, it's something bigger and deeper. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Uh, I, since you already took us there, let's, let's go to little Freeman fly. Oh, now you're in trouble. Yeah. First, <laughs> no, let's go back to the beginning. What are your first what are the first memories, the first things that come to you in this lifetime that stick out? Uh, and this can include, and it's lovely if it does, things in pop culture that stick out, as well as your relationship with the with the world around you, you know, whether it be nature or the concrete jungle. Well, I'll give you the first sentence to my autobiography that I've not written a bunch of times. <laughs> and that is that I was born in the middle of the summer of love. It was the beginning of the space age. And my very first memory is sitting in this basket while the adults around me are bugging out because man is landing on the moon. I was two years old. And I don't know that I remember that, but I remember remembering that. So <laughs> it's one of those things. So that was really my first memory. I woke up into the space age, uh, literally while they were landing on the moon. That's or, significant. You know, yeah. And it certainly has set the precedent for the path you've traveled. For everything. And everything in my life turned out to be a part of the story. Uh, it, I. <laughs> you know, my family, I didn't discover who they were till I was in college. Uh, so young me, um, I guess I was a little genius kid. I was always put into those advanced classes. 
uh, I had extraterrestrial thoughts at all times. I wanted to be a spaceman. When they asked me what I wanted to be in school, I'd say a spaceman. And they'd say, oh, an astronaut. And I'm like, no, not an astronaut. That's boring. You know, you just go up, come back. <laughs> Who wants to do that? I want to be a spaceman, you know. And uh, I had a vast knowledge of of paranormal stuff like i started i guess my reading was like encyclopedia brown uh the hardy boys and nancy drew and uh ufos and bigfoot and atlantis and all of those kind of things like i thought akhenaten was a common word <laughs> i thought everybody knew anyway um so i i was really into that world deeply like trying to i had what i believe are cover memories at times like once when i was a little kid and took the trash out i suddenly was a dancing bear i had a full tuxedo on and this big bear head and i was just dancing out there for a while it felt like hours and i went back inside and i didn't know what had happened and later in ufoology and studying that kind of stuff i think you know that was some sort of weird cover memory it was the weirdest thing because it felt like so much time had passed and i was just taking the trash out but i was this dancing bear for like a while but i also had dreams or memories of floating out of the house so a lot of that going on in my reality and then to later discover like when i'm in college that my dad was chasing flying saucers for Project Blue Book, was this Freemason, was uh, building nukes when I was born. Uh, just uh, all this weird correlation. Like here, I, I, I knew I learned of all of the stuff that I learned. And then I learned that that my family was in it. You know, what I mean, and like uh, the other way around. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was a little genius shy kid. I didn't speak till seventh grade, like except for like true friends at home. But in school, hell no, I didn't speak at all. Like speaking to me is something I'm not <laughs> very comfortable with. And so it's ironic that this became my job or my life, I guess. It's not really a job. It's my life. But yeah, yeah. it's definitely your life and you're good at it. <laughs> you just Wait, said it was so your job. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I quit my job so long ago. <laughs> what, so when you say you didn't meet your parents until later, uh what what does that mean actually? Was that is that literal? No, no, I mean I didn't I didn't know about them. About like, them. Yeah. yeah. Like here my dad held all these secrets. Here I've been reading all this stuff studying ufos and all the weird things and it wasn't until i discovered freemasonry in college i had a friend who uh was like alistair crowley <laughs> and he uh introduced me to the ideas of magic and the concept of esoterica and stuff and i i was looking through his books he had this massive magic library now this is back before the world wide web you know before anyone knew any of this stuff like we didn't know any of this stuff but no one knew what Crowley did or what those you know what I mean like it's a completely different world now now you talk about it and everybody thinks they know yeah but, now everything information's everywhere now back then we're the same generations back right. then it was worked for 
She does it sometimes. Just did I did I go out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah, back then you actually had to work for the information. You had yeah. to find it and and then put things together the hard way. It's so much easier now. It's hard to even describe that to modern generations. It really is. You know, library. Uh, you know. Yeah, what's a like what's reading i get it all from video now <laughs> right yeah but so when when i just when i was shown secret societies uh in freemasonry specifically i recognized the symbols that i was seeing and then i realized that my dad was mason well my friend did really i was like wait you know that's uh, i used to play battlestar galactica i was always apollo and, you know, Battlestar Galactica actually is kind of the Mormon creation myth of genetically modifying the beings on Earth to become the different races on planet Earth. And it was written, you know, by the Mormons who are extraterrestrial Freemasons. Uh, and I used to wear my dad's insignia while playing Battlestar Galactica as a kid. And so I instantly recognized the Compass and Square G logo and said, you know, that's my dad's drawer. And my friend's like, well, your dad's Mason. And I'm like, no way, you know, I didn't believe it. But then I go home and I ask dad about it, start talking about it. And he tells me, well, not only that, but I used to chase flying saucers for the government. I worked for Hynek and I was stationed on the South Sea Island tracking flying saucers. Uh, I had four radar dishes and I'm like, slow down, wait a minute, what? Hold on, my whole life, I've been in this weird, weird world and not once. Did he ever tell me, talk to me about any of it? Like, until I discovered it myself. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Have well, you it seen, was. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Jerry. Go on. No, I was going to ask if you'd seen The Expanse on. I guess it was on uh, sci fi. What's, what's really weird about me, uh, and I, I don't remember movies at all. I don't okay. remember my life, honestly, a lot of the details and people have to tell me stories about myself. And I, I generally don't even believe them. So I can imagine that most people don't believe me because when I hear stories about myself, I'm like, I, I didn't do that, uh, but I did. I know I did, but I have this weird, I guess it's living in the experience. Like you were saying, where I just get so submerged. Like I saw star Wars 14 times in the theater. I think I saw and it that many times too. I enjoyed it every single time. Mm -hmm. And what really has always happened is I come out of the movie, my friends are quoting lines, and I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> none, none, <laughs> not even an inkling, you know? And it's a really bizarre thing. So anyway, you can bring up any movie and I'll just tell you, yeah, I, I've seen it, but that doesn't mean I'll. <laughs> it's a three season TV show. There were two seasons around sci-fi, oh, got yeah. canceled, Amazon did a season. Anyway. My point was that the one of the main subplots of the first season were that these this this one group was building a giant ship, spaceship for the Mormons, so they oh, could right. go out and seed space. It was kind of interesting. Remember. Okay, I remember that. They yeah, steal it. The yeah. big statue of uh, uh, well, I can't remember the name of the thing now. Uh, Joseph Smith. Or no, 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 the, the um, Maroni. The Maroni, right? The Maroni statue yes. with the, yeah. the sword on the front. Yeah. All right, I'll show yeah, up. it's a, it's actually a really good it's really good yeah i've seen it actually i just yeah you it's, gotta give me more details the details yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> it's just a great show yeah i know yeah, did uh, you so earlier let's let's stay let's ruminate back on the early stuff still so when first of all where did you grow up orlando florida 
Oh, oh, you're right over there. The home of the rat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was uh, one of the very first people to walk into Epcot. Oh, wow. And I pretty much grew up at Disney. My mom knew Walt. And uh, I mean, she'd met him. Uh, she worked for him. They helped actually acquire the land uh, with the Disney got for Disney World. So anyway, my family was all wrapped up in Disney. I have these uh the Mouseketeer certificates that my mom had and some other Mickey postcards that Walt gave her. And so there's one with my name on it. And for the longest time I thought I might have been a Mouseketeer. Because my parents, my mom, she would bring me into things like uh the Bozo show. I was auditioned for yes. that. Yes. <laughs> uh so I had these weird memories of being through that kind of stuff. And so, you know, when I saw my name on the Mouseketeer certificate, I, I thought I had been one. And uh, yeah. <laughs> well, they did have, you know, they had that club and they would have different club meetings and all that. It was interesting. The whole thing's interesting, as you well know. What about uh, at this period? And, and that is very interesting, the Disney thing, because... I mean, any, I think anyone that listens to the show, and certainly yours, understands that that's significant. Uh, did you have siblings? Yeah, I have an older sister. So it's the two of you. Excellent. I remember and, when she finally became my sister instead of me being her brother. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I finally got more popular than her in school. <laughs> oh, no. That's funny. Oh, yeah, my brother and I. I actually haven't talked to my brother in years. We're just so different. Uh, okay, and then you're, so you're in Florida. What was your relationship with the natural world? And in, in particular, was there anything special about the water with you? Yeah, you couldn't keep me out of it. That's for sure. Uh, so first and second grade, I was moved up to North Dakota to live in the 10-foot snow drifts uh while dad built nukes and uh then the salt two treaty came and we had to go back to north dakota later to take them all apart again but <clears throat> so first and second grade was actually in a weird place where everything was frozen and uh walked to school in the snowmobile suit had to go through a uh, corn field or wheat fields where you could totally get lost and then it took you through a cemetery and I swear I slipped into a grave once there was places there where you could just dig well like one time we had to slide out the second story window to get out you know you open the front door and it's just a white wall uh, but so I used to just build massive forts and you could just dig in as deep as you wanted and build whole hotel room in there <laughs> um oh it so, sounds fabulous it was crazy you know uh but um i was glad to get back to florida that's for sure but so the uh, first memories of like school and stuff and i was in the cub scouts and the boy scouts and the weeblows and even the civil air patrol uh and Wait, where were we? Okay, the water in Florida. Yes, I have a lot of dreams about the water as well, like standing uh, tidal waves that just hang there, you know, as you stand there and look at them like a movie. That's, and sometimes when I've 
actually driven my van underwater in a dream and being breathing underwater and really wondering about that. Like, how is this happening? Lucid dreams are such a trip. But you couldn't keep me out of the water in Florida. Like, it, it was, we had a pool and I was on the swim team and I was on the crew team and I would go into the ocean, you know, and then eventually just became a beach bum. But strangely, there became a point where I couldn't go in the water. There was something changed or it was, I don't know if it was instinct. I don't know what it was, but I suddenly couldn't go in the ocean anymore. Just my body would revile from it. Just didn't want to be in it at all. So I don't know what happened, if it was instinctual or what. Had you, you just seen how old you, had you just you seen Jaws? Yeah, I was there when the whole Jaws things happened. <laughs> I bring that up on my show a lot when you're especially talking about today, you know, just how easy it is to scare everybody because that destroyed the economy yeah. there. Yep. Uh, but we used to do that in our pool. We would sit there and pretend that there was a shark in the pool until you could see it. And then we'd swim across the pool really fast. And oh, my God, it was so terrifying because you literally saw that shark swimming back and forth in the shadows you know in the dark uh, so and how old there are you? times i would just stay underwater and i swear i was under there for minutes you know we would just sit at the bottom of the pool and have tea parties and stuff how old were you when your attitude changed towards the ocean it hadn't been um much later into like 18 19 uh, so that would be somewhere around 1987, somewhere around there. And at the time when that started to happen, what was it? Was it a fear? What What actually no. was the mood behind that shift? It was more like there's something poison in there. Just it wasn't really a fear. Just just reviled you know just like nope can't go in it and, and do you, are you still this way with uh the, like say natural bodies of water as opposed to pools um not so much but i'm really hyperthermic so uh any of the springs and stuff i have a really hard time because i just have zero body fat zero <laughs> and so i freeze instantly i could be on a 102 degree day and have hypothermia in the inner tube you know <laughs> uh so uh but so no i haven't really been in submerged in a long time i i don't even have a bath downstairs so i don't uh i haven't even bathed you know I shower all the time now so it's been a long time since i've been submerged in water And also with early you, what, so you gave us a teaser of dreams and the water dreams. Did, did they in particular start when you were very young or have they just been there all along? I had a recurring place. It was dark. It was wooden. It was more like a dock and with a cover and there was always water. And so it was, it was like, um, yeah, like you were in a dark dock with a, with a wooden cover around. And so I, that is a constant place that I would go to in my dreams. And it's funny because I remember I would, I would, I would have some lucid dreams, especially when I'd realize I was there again, you know, it was kind of a trigger for me to go, Oh wait, I'm in my dream. 
And so I would try to fly around and such. And when I flew around, I would use my hands like a hummingbird. And it just looks so ridiculous. And the dream people would just laugh at me. I, I eventually got challenged to fly. Well, this was kind of a, a strange, lucid dream. Uh, I can see every minute of it, even right now, the hills, the trees, the, the mountain. And uh, I'm strolling through. And this is not in the recurring place. This is a different place. This is a different dream. And just, but as I come up, there's this coven of witches that are circling in the air and they're cackling and taunting me saying, boys can't fly, boys can't fly. And I'm like determined and I'm very, very lucid in this. And I'm just very determined. I'm like, I'm going to prove them wrong. And I remember using my physical brain, convincing my brain to levitate. So therefore lifting my skull up into the air. And I lifted myself up to their height. And at that moment, an electric being uh, which felt feminine came swooping through with lightning bolts shooting off the body into the ground. And the witches were all just flabbergasted. Like I had just performed some miracle and was, uh, you know, got benediction from some goddess. And uh, so I defeated them <laughs> in that. But That's, I love that one. How, how old would you say you were? Um, that one, I, I have a real hard time with space time, right? yeah, I, uh, I, but I was older, you know, <laughs> most of my lucid dreams came older. The earlier dreams as a kid were more kind of like those, did I float out of the house today? I think mm -hmm. I did. Um, but, uh, I, I, can I just lay some dreams on you? Yeah. Let's, let's get to some of the technical stuff first here okay. when so and if this has changed in your lifetime certainly just bring that up first of all what does the dream realm how does it appear for you is it color is there texture are you able to read uh are you able to smell the whole sensate thing how do you experience that that plane yeah it's funny now that you mentioned smell i don't have any re recollections of smell but definitely color and texture and um, definitely knowing, you know, the dreams that I recall, which are few, are very vivid and very, very uh, often very lucid, where, you know, you have, you can make choices. It's such an interesting thing when you realize that you have this ability to make a choice. You're like thinking inside of the dream. It's, it's, I don't know, even just that sometimes will wake me up from realizing that I was in control. But uh, where were we? <laughs> On how you experienced the, oh, the field right. of dreaming. Right. Um, so they're very, very vivid, very real, uh, lots of, but it's interesting. I can't think of any sense, any smells. What about, uh, are you able to read text in dreams? Well, I had one dream recently where I was trying to decode the, the backs of books. Who? And <laughs> there was some symbols and there was supposed to, I was supposed to find these particular ones. 
and then bring him over to where the food was. <laughs> and um, I remember looking at those symbols and looking at these weird, it was, it was a little more like scanner darkly, you know, where it was definitely just kind of weird symbols that didn't make any sense. But even after the dream, I was certain that it was pointing to me something in my library and I went looking for it in the real world. Cause I really knew, I knew that symbol, uh, but I'd never found, figured out what it was. Well, it's interesting. I wonder when you do though, if you won't have a deja vu. Right. <laughs> right. And also in the dream space, uh, what about architecture? So let me, let me preface this with, oh. Oh, carry on. It's uh, I actually have a picture of one of my dream places as I was wandering uh, in Guatemala uh, off the bottomless lake, the Adelon. I strolled past a place that was in my dream. I took a picture of it and was like, I have a picture of what I dreamt. It was crazy to me. Oh, I, I live for that kind of stuff. Those connections that the bridging experiences, that's, uh, that's, that's juice. Yeah. And also, what about so with like actual architecture, like spaces, um, houses, are are there places you go that are all familiar? Maybe they've changed and they shift around and they're not the same, but you know the place, like you, you have a house, or you know the space. It may be different, but it's familiar. Do you experience that, or is it always fresh and new? No, no, I definitely have that recurring place. Uh, the okay. dark, uh, the dark, dark. Yeah, talking. yeah. As you'd mentioned, and do you still? Does that one still pop up? No, no. Now I'm battling in the clone labs. Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wanted to get to clones later too. Oh, of course you are, Freeman. The, um, Wait, are these the Donald Marshall clone labs? Well, he accuses me. <laughs> And and so now I, I always jokingly refer those nights to the, the battles in the clone labs. But uh, before we get to that, yeah. um, while I was in Mexico, I find that altered states or, you know, um, lit, not 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 psychedelics, but just being in a in a weird place and sleeping there, you know, that tends to cause more lucid dreams. And I'm often in weird places sleeping there and. Uh, one time in Mexico, I was sleeping in an empty lot. It was daytime and there were a group of hippies around me and I got out of my body and I flew up over the building and the building looked exactly, everything looked exactly as it was. And I flew around and looked at everything. But the one big difference that I guess kind of let me knew other than the fact that I was flying but I, that didn't seem to concern me, but uh, that there was a pool on the top of the building, which wasn't there, but in the dream state it was. And so everything else was exact. And I flew down amongst the people and then I went and landed back at my body and I stood up like physically, literally, and had a memory of flying because it was so real and everything was exactly i mean it was it was an out-of-body experience because everything was there oh that reminds me of another out-of-body experience i had i uh, uh it was my birthday at rainbow gathering you know i go out into the national forest every year almost and live with 30,000 20,000 people out in the woods for a couple of weeks i haven't thought about rainbow gatherings in years that's a good flashback for me by the way 
Uh, nice. What was yours? I mean, what, 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 where'd you go? Uh, in New York. And I think it was the nineties, I think. All right. I have, I'm I like you. I'm terrible with years, but yeah. my friends could back up the information better than I could. Oh, sorry, my poodle. Well, somebody had given me a mushroom, and somebody handed me a bud, and uh, I, you know, it was my birthday, and uh, <laughs> well, I don't know what that was, but it poisoned me, and so I was sitting there talking with this girl and next to a fire and suddenly I went blind and I'm sitting there in the dark just complete well it was dark out anyway but it was uh I was completely blind and I'm like oh no <laughs> I don't know what's going on like my brain's trying to compute and so I just lay back and lay down and I start to just moan and freak out and overheat and so i strip off all my clothes and even though it's, uh, next to the fire and then i find out later that my foot was actually in the fire which somebody told me and they had taken my foot out of the fire for me and i i went off i, I went distant somewhere and then i hear this moaning noise so i go walking towards it and it was me and I see myself down there on the ground moaning. And then I get back in my body and I'm okay again. Everything was fine. Like I, my eyesight came back. I wasn't, it was weird, really weird. And that made me think of something else. Oh, well, talking about childhood, I, I, I had migraines. I, I think it's because I shoved this uh, bobby pin through my ear canal. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. So I don't, I don't pressurize very well and I get migraines when the, uh, when low pressures come in. And so I had this as a kid most of my life and I used to have to train myself to go into this little point, this little space in my mind where, uh, I could just focus and then I wouldn't feel the migraine at all. And I think people that have migraines know what I'm talking about. And it was, but it was like this, you know, training and transcendental meditation from the time I was a young kid up to, you know, now even. Uh, so I had that. That so with, with these experiences, and you know what I, I realized while you were talking, I think I was thinking of the New York Starwood. I don't know if you ever went to those. No. In in New York, those were big. Um, with the with the lucid dreams so we've got that the kind of the landscape the way you experience it and and then another of the uh the markers the general markers do you come back from your dreaming experiences with uh with a mood do you ever wake up and and you can't shake a mood definitely yeah yeah some of those are the nights that I just say that I've been battling in the clone lab, even though I didn't have physical uh, effects, whereas sometimes I do have physical effects while battling in the clone lab. I've literally jumped out of my bed uh, and smashed my face into the wall because in my dream, that wall wasn't there. And uh, I've lashed out, kicked out, and luckily haven't injured girlfriends or 
dogs in the process. I don't know. Cause sometimes I'm in some severe battles and I mean, I, I injure myself, you know, cause I do literally kick out as hard as I can and scream and, you know, it's a little scary at times. Uh, and uh, so I, I, you know, one day Donald Marshall starts attacking me on Facebook and I don't know who he is and I don't know why he's all mad at me. And so I keep trying to find out why he's just yelling at me on Facebook, you know, as much as you can yell and text and like, why are you so angry with me, dude? And uh, it turns out that he he was telling me that we we fighting in the in the clone lab while I'm sleeping. I'm transported into my clone, and he keeps getting into fights with me. And I'm like, what are we fighting about? You know? He said, well, I was greedy for selling flash drives, and <laughs> you can have it all for free. It's all free on freebittv.com. It's not like you gotta buy the flash drive. I just sell things to help you know keep going and what the hell but so anyway it was a weird thing that he didn't know about these violent thrashes that i was having and even jumping through walls and uh yet you know all of a sudden he comes and confirms that i'm battling him at the clone lab i'm like okay maybe i am i don't know that's you, a straight up confirmation jerry yeah, what were you- i was gonna say had you you not i've never heard you speak about this so have you ever yeah. mentioned it on a show that he would have heard? No, no, no. That's, that's yeah, that's, that's suddenly, really good. Have you uh, battled Katy Perry or uh, Taylor Swift? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. There might have been something with Britney, honestly. Britney, yeah, there you go. I had some bond with her. I miss Donald Marshall. He was that special kind of crazy that you could like, yeah. listen to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really want to be included in that camp, honestly. <clears throat> no, I hear I mean, you. My life's strange enough, you know. People don't. I I didn't realize people don't believe people, and I I, I watch Survivor like religiously, and and Coach is one of my favorite characters, and and he tells a story uh, that's nearly unbelievable to most people because they don't have adventures in their lives, and that was when I kind of realized, oh, people will just like act like they believe you but they don't because uh, most of my life is like that where it, it's unbelievable but it all happened smile and nod yeah. yeah yeah that's the thing that's the thing i run up against a lot too uh, it's it's uh a lot of people really do not have adventures and the world is not very magical because of it or very big and it is, as you know, uh, more than we could even throw language around. And of course, as you know, I think I heard you say somewhere when you're talking about language, you know, the difference in how much language it takes for English to describe, say, uh, you know, any in even Chinese or Mandarin or cuneiform language how we wrap so much more silk around ideas that it's confusing and of course it's an intentional spell yeah so that's you know that's it's hard to convey these experiences to people it's like the what, it, mask debate yeah yes masturbate masturbate yes <laughs> indeed so with with all this uh, and then getting a couple more of the foundational things in the dream realm. 
what about how you experience and so you've you've already given us some of this right now with the others uh, the clones and and what what you were just talking about what about how do you discern what is not part of a like typical your own psyche and others so that you know that you're encountering something that's sentient beyond you in the dreams yeah it, within the dream field i've never really thought about that <laughs> uh, <laughs> i have that in my real life right uh miraculous well, events start but, start with that then and we'll weave our way in um all right i was um because well i'm not exactly sure where to go um it like my my real life is probably more surreal than my dream life um you know i've had massive ufo experience i predicted the future after that and um all the surreal connections that i've found throughout my life but the thing that really amazed me was uh, when I was out on the road and things would just happen. They would manifest anything I needed. If I thought I was hungry, something would show up to feed me. Even if I was off in the weirdest place, um, constantly running into the same people all over the country and just always having this divine love guiding me forward. I've had a, a note, come roll up on my shoe a piece of paper it said i love you and i felt that at all times my life was just like filled with goosebumps because everywhere i went some miracle happened and so it makes you realize that we we are the manifestors and uh you know and then you take in all what's going on and you realize that we're being written with software and we're the hardware that actually manifests that software so my whole life has been this magical trip over and over and over again no matter it just keeps going <laughs> in the dream world um it's more well i had a moment where i was reading the book of enoch and honestly, the book of Enoch kind of freaked me out because it talked to purgatory and I just didn't like that idea. I, I'm kind of claustrophobic and the idea of being in these cylinders as described in the book of Enoch that I was reading. Um, just purgatory sounded like hell to me. But that night I had a dream and I'm on this second floor balcony of this apartment building and I see this giant vulture land on the, in, out in the street and did we lose freeman i don't know it's starting <laughs> to walk towards me as it's okay. coming at me i realize it's actually two stories stories uh do you hear me uh it says my internet is unstable yeah, we lost you, yeah, we lost you for a second it's those damn crickets okay. behind you uh well, where was I? <laughs> Had the, the vulture landed yet? No. 
Okay, I've read the Book of Enoch. Did you get that? Yes, you're talking about purgatory. Purgatory, yeah. Okay, so that night I have this dream, and I see this vulture land out in the street. I'm on the second floor balcony of this apartment building. I can still see everything about it, and this vulture lands down in the street a ways away. And as it comes closer, I realize it's actually two stories tall and has more humanoid features, but I can't see its face. And I want to see what it is, but I have this instinctual urge. I have no choice. I have to feed this thing. This is my DNA programmed, instinctual programming. I have to feed this. So I go and I immediately go into the house into the apartment and I rummage through the cans and stuff and I find food for this giant vulture. And it tells me the story of the fallen angels and tells me that they were actually now trying to repair the damage that they had done. And it was so real and just so wild. And I woke up like believing it. It was as one of those pretty wild moments. That's fantastic. And the, the vultures are an amazing symbol as well that I think have, you know, they've ebbed and flow in their meaning for people, but in the, in their older context and when they were, I guess, more in, in a God form, they were very much revered. Like ancient for, Egypt. Yes, exactly, for the sacred work. So, okay, so what, on on being lucid in your dreams, and then, and of course, just, we'll just start meandering and bring out, bring out the dreams you have, you've remembered to, to, um, and thought of to share this evening. I was wondering, what is the, uh, how do you know when you're lucid? Is there is there a moment there? Is there ever a trigger? Does it just come on naturally? Do you will it? Yeah, so far it's been a shock. Uh, so there just comes this moment in the dream where I'm thinking and I'm making a choice. And it's that moment that says, oh, wait a minute, you're in control. And it it brings me to the point where I'm like, okay, now I can, I can go here or there, or, you know, fly or, uh, and consciously do it. So it's, it's usually a shock. It's, it's just like, oh, wow, I, I got a choice here. I can, I can think <laughs> and realize I'm thinking in there. Um, Freeman. Yeah. Oh, I thought I lost you there. <laughs> no, that was no. He was done talking. Okay, yeah, that's it's, all it's such a weird. I, this week, I've been listening to live streams, and they've just been cutting out. Like it seems to be happening all over. Of course, that's not suspicious. Uh, okay, cool. And then also, you mentioned the your experience. Uh, when you were in Mexico, that was it really truly an out of body experience. What's the difference? How do you discern the difference when you're in the experience? Is the is there a difference? For me, it's like a sliding scale of lucidity, really. But is there a difference where you you're like, 
I know I'm in the dream. I have control here. I'm aware that I'm in the dream too. I'm fully out. And, uh, and then it's that experience, which is very similar to this, but not, not quite. Yeah. The actual consciousness inside of the dream is rare. Um, more, I guess when I say that they were lucid is, uh, that they're so vivid and, so I come out with what feels more like a memory than a dream. But I don't have that conscious control that often. That's only happened on a couple of occasions where I felt like, I mean, even when like I was looking for the codes and I knew everything was weird, I still wasn't conscious enough to, to recognize it as the dream. I just knew it was very strange and I, but at the same time I, I, I knew, yeah, I guess I just knew something wasn't right. <laughs> yeah. When you were, so what's your idea of, uh, I, I want to get into dreams. So if you, if you have dreams you you've brought, I'd love to hear them. And then I want to kind of, fit in the idea of especially with you who's just got this fantastical history and uh are, are very very aware and uh, open to the experiences that are actually happening and seeing clearly uh what what separates us from these other dimensions or realms of consciousness that we find ourselves within yeah i I, I had a, a shared hallucination with someone and that was really quite bizarre because you couldn't have made it up. Uh, again, some psilocybin out in the Colorado Rockies and I was uh, studying Leary at the time. So I really wanted to go into like this transcendental meditation. I had cloaked myself all in white and was sitting in the water pool. And, uh, but my friend uh, wasn't as experienced as I. It might have even been his first attempt at these uh, realms. And so he kept like just messing with me the whole time, like my poodle is right now. And just kept pointing at me and touching me with his finger and stuff. And just like totally out there. <clears throat> And as I'm sitting there, I see this little character, a clockwork elf, I swear, uh, a little guy made of light beams that had a triangle over his head and was riding on a tricycle, all made out of little beams of light. And I'm looking at this thing just like, well, this is crazy. And it's coming towards me. And uh, my, my friend starts going, do you see him? Do you see him? Like the tricycle. He's he's got that tricycle. He's on a triangle. And there's just no way anybody could have made that up. And all of a sudden that little guy just roiced right straight towards my third eye and just rolled right into my head. And <laughs> it's a really bizarre moment. There was no way you could like have gotten that. <laughs> you know, you can't nobody would guess that. Uh that's incredible. That, that That's what, I mean, for me, the most meaningful, and I, I have a fantastical life 
And uh, the most meaningful stuff I'm finding is this overlap. I mean, that's kind of why the show started. And, and it's it's that kind of overlap that is somehow there's just more there. And it's there's a something there is something magical and validation from other others that are experiencing the same thing. Uh, and especially, the, oh, carry on. Uh, I grew up in the cow fields. You know, it was never too far to drive in Florida to, to go find cow patties with psilocybin growing all over them. So it was a pretty common, normal experience for me to be in these altered states uh, often. <laughs> I did not learn. I grew up for part of my life in Iowa, where we certainly have cows. My grandfather had cows. I didn't learn that cow connection <laughs> to psilocybin. <laughs> until later i thought all this time i could have i could have been harvesting from the cat you know the natural <laughs> the yeah. gift of the gods right yeah i, I mean didn't... john hopkins university is saying it's the true cure for depression yes and i think it really you know it liberated me obviously to be able to traverse the 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 world as i have you know to be able to just go and just go well with that said what what are your i kind of wanted to get this later but oh also did were you raised with a religion no i thank god every day yes i know exactly <laughs> uh, my mom was abused by catholics she was actually rescued by from the catholics by the nazis and uh so she just didn't allow any religion because the nuns had been so mean to her. My dad wasn't religious. He was Freemason. So, yeah, it just didn't even wasn't even a thing, which was so thankful because uh, for me, to me, to not have, you know, to be not put into love it or hate it either way. You know, I was uh, open to all, you know, understandings instead yeah. of being cast because I see a lot of people that. The know, baggage. Yeah, yeah, a lot of baggage yeah. out there. Did you? Yeah, that sorry carry on jay no did your dad ever try to get you into freemasonry or did you ever venture into uh, that no i didn't even know he was you know mm -hmm. like that's the crazy part but i don't know that he was i've been trying to piece together that timeline because some some part of the story says that he had to leave freemasonry when he married my mom because my mom was married to a different worshipful master in kaiserslautern in germany you know, uh and you can't marry another worshipful master's wife and stay a freemason if you're another master and which my dad was actually the man who raised my dad the master was was my mom's husband and they agreeably gave you know my mom left the other man agreeably for my dad and but i so i've never quite figured out if he remained in masonry because i have some stuff that makes me think that he did and that my mom stayed in the eastern star uh but i don't know of any yeah i didn't know any of it yeah it's it's hard to it's hard to know there the it's hard to know and the way i've understood it too some of the some of the old policies became less rigid because the numbers dwindled. So I grew up, my family is all Masons and Eastern stars too. Hmm. And uh, 
it was yeah. just my normal. I mean, it wasn't, nobody really taught, you know, my uncle was, the only public aspect was when my uncle would do the Shriner thing. You know, now that's the you, other thing. Every person, since I've started doing this on television, uh, started promoting this idea. Um, because before me, no one talked about the occult aspects of Hollywood and politics, right? That was me that threw this one out at the world. And I feel like a pretty uh, amazing magician to have caused what I did. Uh, I can't believe what happened afterwards. But uh, uh, what I discovered was that everyone that that bonded with me and wanted to know more and really wanted to dig in suddenly found out that their family was involved. I was over, so I'm, I, I, when I started the TV show, I was living in a jazz band's house. And it's I would brutal. just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so I, I was living in my van on Coffee Street and, or Christmas Light Street next to a coffee shop in Austin when I was asked to make a television show. And so I didn't know I was going to stay in Austin for five years to keep doing that. But uh, I thought I was there for the weekend, you see. But I ended up living in this uh, jazz band's couch. And I really only formed the closest relationship with one of the members, although they were, you know, close relationships with everybody. But one took to the information, wanted to know more, really study. We went over to his house for Thanksgiving and all of a sudden his dad and this was the night after I had recorded uh, Codex Magica with Tex Mars, the whole thing on hand signs and gestures of the Illuminati. Uh, and I was so I was excited about it. And I unfortunately brought it up at Thanksgiving dinner at these family's house. But I, it wasn't me that destroyed the dinner. It was the dad because it turned out he was all involved in this. He was chasing fra uh, flying saucers and Project Starlight and brought us out into his laboratory and started and and my friend who was also bonding in the information uh didn't know any of this about his dad until that night and so i found so many times when somebody actually gets into this information that they they have family connections it's like genetic memory that we're all living through yeah and there's just you know there's the idea like in any good uh private circle you know there's just you don't talk about stuff and it was not a secret in my growing up but I did think because of my personal experience that everyone's parents were I just thought everyone was a mason or a jester or you know uh, in the order of Rebecca and Eastern Star and Oddfellow I just thought that was all normal and it certainly seemed to be normal in the Midwest, for sure. Uh, but when I when I got out west, it seemed to be less. I just started to notice it wasn't normal, and that most people actually were raised with the religion. That was also kind of a strange thing. I thought that other people. I didn't realize that people really did get were born and raised in religions. That took. I was about eleven when that realization happened for me. We always distinguish the, the Christians. Well, we always, I always felt sorry for the Christian children. Their parents were always the meanest and the strictest. And so that's what I knew of Christianity was that they have mean parents. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I just, I encountered mean people in general because I was strange, but uh, yeah, it was, it was always 
it was always definitely like I'd call the the I think they're now what are they called the Karens and something I we called right. them in the '80s muffies and biffs. Right. <laughs> so okay. it was it's the same thing. Um, with but with all this with all this going on, what kind of how's your dream life been in general throughout the span of your life? And do you how much has it brought forth? Say this especially with the lucid stuff and the OB stuff, precognitive stuff, because you do have that record of having your pulse on things that are going to happen. You have, you know, fantastic hit record there. And I'm wondering, and also you're really good at uh, pattern recognition, which is part of it, understanding symbols and, and all of all this that we're, we're swimming in that most people take for granted and think is, you know, I they, I guess they don't think about these things. Uh, so has has your dream life or moving into that dimension, which is what people think of as dreams, informed any of this stuff in the apparent reality we're in? Yeah, I tried to think of that, and not so much. It's more in my art than it is in uh, in dreams. So, um, a lot of what I, what, a lot of what I, I promote and project, uh, comes out through art. And, um, so I have, I have one, ex you know, classic example, the, the, the picture I drew when I was 10, that I talk about all the time because it's just a mind boggler. Um, and it's in my, my facebook page uh photo uh artist actually drew um, me and the art and stuff anyway um so i did this artwork when i was 10 years old which was right before star wars came out like just a month before and i drew these four flying space shuttles because i grew up at nasa and i watched all of them launch from my backyard and um on these space shuttles, I wanted to draw. Well, okay, so I drew the four space shuttles. In between them, I drew what I thought was a spiral galaxy. And then uh, on the other side, a winged serpent. And I won the, the, the art competition for school for this one in fifth grade. But um, on the space shuttles, I wanted to put a really cool symbol. And I remember just sitting there really focusing on it. And I wanted a cool symbol on my space shuttle. I'd already drawn flames down them, you know, giving them a, a hot paint job and all that. And I wanted a cool symbol on them. And I drew this curved line with straight line through it. And it's so kind of like a profile of a radar dish. And I was kind of like, oh, man, that's not that cool. But so I went and I put it on all of the space shuttles. Well, so lo and behold, 18 years later, when I'm 28, I'm reading The Serious Mystery by Robert K. Temple. And it's all about the Dogon. Now, I've been into the fish people my whole life like merfolks and, and Atlantis and, you know, all of that has always, like, I'm always surprised people don't know that the merfolk and Atlantis story go together. And I, I thought these things a lot of times were common knowledge, but anyway. Yeah, I uh, wanted you to definitely get into this stuff. All right, because this blew me away, uh, you know, because here I heard about uh, the Sirius mystery. And of course, Sirius is the major 
star of Freemasonry. So that was the first uh, blazing pentagram that I saw was with Sirius was the Masons and that they worship Sirius. And then the Sirius mystery came out and, um, um, oh, what's his name? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, I'll think of it in a second. But uh, it was it was reputed to be a, a perfect book. Like there's not an error in it. I can't think of the author who said that, but uh, it, so I wanted to go see what this is all about, you know, because I, I was digging it. And to find out that this is a whole story about fish beings coming and visiting these aboriginals in Mali, Africa, and teaching them the secrets of the trinary star system of Sirius, and that they called them the repulsive abomination, and they would slither up out of the water and teach them about things like atoms and stars, like people that live in mud huts need to know. And um, it's uh, just this fantastical book, but it's all true, right? And well, at least it's it's the true accounting of the Mali tribe. And uh, they had a symbol that they were given for Sirius, which is exactly that curved line with the straight line through it that I put on every space shuttle. Now, NASA's symbol is a pentagram, which, of course, was started by the Freemasonry, and the blazing pentagram is Sirius. So actually, the symbols line up. So then what I thought was the spiral galaxy in the middle turned out to be that craft that was filmed by the Columbia Space Shuttle while they did the tether experiment. So they dragged this giant tether through the atmosphere in space and tried to charge it with electricity. And I guess it charged up too much and it broke off and it floated off. And as it did, uh, the cameras and the ultraviolet lights were uh, showing these beings. They were craft that were zooming around this thing that had the spirals and they had this little divot and they almost looked like amoeba all around in space. Well, they, I superimposed that over that picture and it's the exact thing. I mean, I have the divot, I have everything, the spirals, everything. And that event didn't even happen until uh, 10 years after I drew the drawing. Uh, then another uh, researcher took that to hyperdimensional physics and my drawing completely fit his concept of hyperdimensional physics. And then, of course, I have that winged serpent on the other side. And I, of course, had never heard of David Icke because he wasn't writing books yet. Uh, but uh, the winged serpent was right there in my depiction as well. And, and it all tied together. And that picture I drew at 10 has been like a... A data point for me to, to focus on uh, what's actually happening on planet earth so that was that was pretty wild didn't you have a bunch of vectors in there too vectors like v's i remember something no. I, I remember mm. seeing the picture and you you were talking about how you had the vector oh with the know. volkswagen no the no, no six, okay no like the nasa logo the v I can see that like picture in my head with the wing serpent. Oh, well, that was a different artwork I did. Okay, okay. Uh, for, I did that for 9-11, right? So, right, right. Sorry, yeah. I confused them. I actually started to, to figure things out, started to see the, the, oper the, the occulted codes going on and focused on 9-11 because of its esoteric meaning. And I made an artwork once the towers had been hit you know I, I i told a bunch of people hey there's gonna be a major terrorist attack don't freak out on 9 11 
And of course they freaked out and came yelling at me. <laughs> All right. But um, the, in that artwork, I put the space command seal, which is the same seal you see in Stargate uh, from Cheyenne mountain. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that that was the actual Stargate or star star space command logo you know i was i was but i was projecting from 2001 uh on 9 11 i made this artwork to state where this was going and actually where it was coming from so on george bush's podium i put the space command seal saying that it was a space force operation because i changed the podium into the twin towers collapsing and then i put the space command seal there now this was in 2001 i made that projecting to say you know here comes the space force and of course then i went on to make dvds like obama cloning in the coming space war uh but you know even as far back as 2001 i knew that uh the, the goal here was space force yeah and and here we are with it where they've come out in public yeah yeah and trump acts like it's his idea i've been covering that for 10 years oh yeah it's <laughs> it's funny but, it, but they had to they they you know that was the way of officially introducing it to the masses and because here we are and this is this is where we are and this stuff is you know the the rubber's on the road now so those things have to unroll really fast for the public to wrap their their minds around the oh, wait till they so. catch up to me boy yeah well they should go check your archive <laughs> out i want to get on the raphium though in the underwater beings a bit and if you have had in your dream in your dream life or uh out just say in this can include any other state of consciousness outside of the the nowness consciousness where we are kind of right now uh your experiences with these the beings in the water whatever you want to call them but they've certainly uh there's certainly a lot there to ruminate on well i find it very interesting that they're now making a black version of hp lovecraft uh getting them all into the cthulhu myth yeah i saw that well they did that with merlin the arthurian stuff too and, uh, the crusade that new series on uh, netflix yeah has all black Arthur family. Yeah, that and which is that that stuff's you know, that's so I mean, I'm I not that I there's I'm anything throwing, wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, and we gotta get above the idea of of that, our our temples, but it is, you know, that those are different mythos. I don't I wonder how it would be if all of a sudden, you know, Akhenaten hello to Obama. Uh <laughs> <laughs> was white so anyway but yeah the raphium and the underwater beans i'm particularly uh intrigued with and i've got to tell you that that's where i found you in the world because i have i have a a very specific uh relationship i will i've never gone in water i was born with web feet and all that and i have been terrified of water my whole life and yet i have to live by it so natural bodies of water i have to have a close relationship with it but i won't get in it and the information that you've brought 
into the collective has been meaningful for me. So I'm wondering, have has this stuff been in your dream world at all? Not so much, I don't think. Um, you know, for me, it was in my imagination a lot. I, I wanted to be the man from Atlantis. I don't know if you guys remember the Patrick Duffy Hell television yeah. show. Heck yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and the creature from the Black Lagoon. I, I, I just, <laughs> I, I would, I mean, there's a weird, weird bond I have with the creature from the Black Lagoon. And, but um, no, honestly, I didn't have any connection dream wise. And I was really actually shocked when I finally started reading H.P. Lovecraft because rumor had it, he was revealing secrets through his books. So I started digging in and I had no idea that I was gonna get into this Cthulhu mythos and the whole merfolk taking over the minds and souls of humanity. I didn't know. I didn't even, I had no idea what I was in for when I opened Lovecraft. Just like when I opened Robert K. Temple, I had no idea I was going to be digging into fish people again. So it definitely has been a, a just a running theme throughout my entire life. Well, and then at that, you know, when you were 17 or 18, when the, the tide, ha, 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 uh, shifted yeah. and your idea of water uh, with the ocean, with the natural bodies of water shifted. I mean, I find that deeply interesting. Um, yeah, you it, know, there were oil spills and things like that. I never know as a kind of a more natural human, right? I've never had an alarm clock, right? Like when I went to college, I finally realized after a few months that I had to buy a watch. Uh, <laughs> like, um, but um Oh, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, the natural instincts of that. It, like, just before the the virus, I stopped going out. I stopped going to my chiropractor. I stopped, you know, even though I needed to go, I just wouldn't go. And it's kind of the same with the with the water. It was just like, no, don't go in. And uh, so I think sometimes if you're, you know, like an animal that can detect earthquakes, you just sense it like, nope, danger, danger. And so, I mean, there were a lot of flesh eating bacteria in Florida in those days, things like that. I don't know, you know, like, I don't know why I did suddenly stopped going out right before the pandemic, you know, long before, like, you know, October, no, September before it actually it, was announced with, so with the with the i guess i'm so let's look at the idea of states of consciousness via vis-a-vis uh realms or fields that we understand we understand that we may not understand them but we all agree that dreaming is possible and it happens even if people don't remember their dreams and then there's this idea of a different field which is under the water and this is a this is a whole other place we can go albeit mostly we go with technology uh, and then there's the idea of whatever space is uh, and so when we start layering states of being or fields 
that we can experience or at least know of and do not you know, most people will agree on all those things. What about the idea that comes to mind when we start working with, say, hydron colliders and uh, quantum realities and all this other stuff that is is winding around this experience that we are now now all having? Where? Where is your mind going now with all this as we start to see a shift in the collective towards uh, a darker arc, a darker storyline of mass control and uh, that involves the covering of the mouth and uh, staying apart from others? You know, there's ideas I've ser- I've been talking about some of these ideas in my psychic eye about uh, what I think, but I'm wondering where do you think we are with all this, and why is this all winding up at this point, and how is it all connected? Yeah, big questions, and uh, I got a few answers. Um, as they put the alpha magnetic spectrometer up on the international space station and the vatican and cern was a co-joined project to find the anti-universe they put this device up there it's got a reptilian claw as its corporate logo on it it's called the alpha magnetic spectrometer by Grawlator, and the the vatican and CERN uh, put this on the International Space Station to see the anti-universe. And at that same time, Benjamin Funes and Consul Magno, the two lead astronomers of the Vatican, you know, using the Lucifer telescope, (laughs) uh, announcing Goldilocks planets and saying that they would uh, baptize any life and uh, that the extraterrestrials didn't know original sin because they weren't born of Eve. And they were making all these announcements while uh, the Royal Society had a massive gathering of um, people doing, um, like, uh, creating uh, electronic brains, you know, the Blue Brain Project, Henry Markram and the Blue Brain Project. But they also brought in the extraterrestrial ambassadors of NASA and the UN, uh, Maslin Offman and, and Linda Rothschild, they, uh, they're the extraterrestrial ambassadors and, you know, for working for the office of outer space and stuff. So, uh, then you bring in the Lovecraft, you bring in the magic, you bring in the black magic that has been behind all of that all along, you know, CERN's corporate logo being 666 with a hyperdimensional portal, and their weird uh, ceremonies and the Shiva standing outside, you know, and creating the World Wide Web. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, Starlink satellites are being launched almost daily. It's ridiculous. So there's been two launches to Mars just this week, you know, China and the United Arab Emirates and, and America or was it America? Yeah, America's rover. Uh, so all these launches to Mars, all these launches of satellites have been going on during this whole lockdown. And, uh, but, okay, so there's there's the layer of where they're going with everything and the idea of 
save an ancient AI that's actually running all of this from behind the scenes, creating this mega thing that opens portals into the other dimensions. And strangely enough, they built the next most sophisticated collider in Transylvania, just to keep things a little more creepy. Um, because that all ties in with all of this Lovecraftian story. And I'm not surprised that they're trying to bring it into black culture to start to get introduce them. Because obviously uh, it's well written into the Church of Satan for the Cthulhu mythos. Um, but so there's the layer of black magic that lies behind all of this. And then there's the science of what's going on of us announcing that we're opening portals to the other dimensions, that something might come through, that uh, we can see the anti-universe. And, uh, oh, where was I going to go with this? Um, sorry, it's a little late. <laughs> How does it relate to what's going on with the virus, I think was the question. Oh, right, well, with, right, right. Not so with why, the virus. With the masks. Well, right, right. With everything. With the whole lockdown. That's it, yeah. That was kind of critical because, well, one, let me just say that in uh, the season two of The Dead Zone, the television series, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but the episode called Plague, uh, and this came out in 2003, I think. And what is they, this series? The it's Dead called Zone? The Dead Zone. It's based off Stephen King's book. They also had a movie out back in the day, but this was the TV Christopher series. Walken. Well, was the, 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 yeah, movie, this yeah, is, was uh, the kid from 16 Candles. Right, but not the movie, the TV series. Yeah. The three okay, name the three name kid from I can't remember his name now. He was in 16 Candles. You both Candles. recommend this series. I well, was, yeah. There's a well, the episode in season thing. 2 called Plague. Uh, so the thing is, is the character has a dead zone in his brain and this allows him psychic uh, premonitions. And so he goes into this high school and he has a premonition that they're all going to get sick. He sees them in masks and on ventilators and the kids dying and all of this. And it all starts with this little girl blowing bubbles on everyone, which is what uh, <laughs> they just found AOC doing, blowing bubbles in the little girl's face. But um, so in this see you know this is 17 years ago this tv show came out uh and so he has to inject himself with the virus basically die from the virus and his psychic self to discover what they did in his autopsy so that he could find out the cure so they announce well we're gonna have to go into lockdown and they, they make a comment of well you know lockdown and he's like well we'll just call it that for now this is what the police officer is saying so they put the whole town in lockdown and then he goes into his psychic state with the virus and discovers the secret of how to cure it. And they discover first that it's a, it's a, it's a coronavirus from China and the, the cure is chloroquine. So all of that was in the TV series, the dead zone in oh, wow. 2003, I think when, it was. When was that out? Huh? Oh my God. Of yeah. Course. Season two, episode I'm... 14. Yeah. 2003. And... Uh, yeah, the stuff is always out there. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, I, I was talking about this moment in 2008. You know, I have a TV show called The Money Spell. And you go listen to that and you'll think it was recorded right now. I'm talking about the real ID. I'm talking about everything that's going down. And um, uh, the, so when when this all happened, 
I wasn't like, what's happening? I was like, why is it happening now? Why are they forcing this at this moment? Yes. You know, the New World Order was making its way. It was having no troubles. Nobody was standing in its way, you know, Trump. So I thought, well, maybe, but that doesn't make much sense because this was a global event. And then suddenly they announced that General Shaughnessy has taken over continuity of government and we have uh, them down in deep under Cheyenne Mountain where Stargate is, right? And Space Command and all of that. And General O'Shaughnessy's sending us messages from deep underground telling us we're gonna be okay, we're gonna send it. And they got all those boats out, you know, the Mercy and the other one on the, either side of the coast. They put up all of these uh, hospitals, uh, the, you know, just the slap together. I can't think of a word for that, but, you know, just temporary hospitals put up everywhere. And we're like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? This doesn't make any sense. Because one, continuity of government, you wouldn't have the president and vice president unmasked standing on stage giving a presentation together. You know, the whole idea of continuity of governments to save somebody, <laughs> you know, so you can't have everybody on a stage together in a pandemic. So it didn't make any sense, right? And why were we getting these messages? So immediately I knew that the real threat was asteroids. And so I, I went on Dan Fogler's show, actually, uh, the 4K experience or 4X, 4DX, 4D, 4D experience. That's what it is, the 4D experience. Uh, Dan Fogler, if you don't know from uh, all the movies he's done. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, nobody knows who Dan Fogler is. Do you guys know who Dan Fogler is? No. No. Isn't that funny? I'm more famous than Dan. Ha ha. Dan Fogler, uh, he's in The Walking Dead. He's in uh, Fantastic Beast. He, most people remember him from Balls of Fury. Uh, he was in Good Luck Chuck. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Oh, he had yeah, his own yeah, TV yeah. show, Man Up. Yeah, until you see him, you don't know, right? So my whole career, I've, you know, I'm in a movie with Dan Fogler and Anne Hathaway. And I can never mention Dan, even though it's his movie, because nobody knows who he is. And it's kind of sad. What movie but, was uh, that? Uh, Don Peyote. Oh, right. Yeah, definitely worth watching. Uh, hard to understand because half the movie got hit the chopping room floor, but I managed to stay in it because I read his tarot and I blew their mind. But... Uh, everybody else got cut so i got to stay in the movie so but okay so i was on dan's show right as the the covid things coming and um i told him you know there's this comet there's a comet that has a cyanide tail coming our way which uh, i can't think of the name of that comet at this moment because then it was immediately followed by another comet comet swan but i can't remember the name of the first one but what really appeared to be huh was it uh ice on I don't think so. Because I uh, thought Swan was after Ison. Ison? Yeah. No, that doesn't sound right. Okay. Um, but so anyway, uh, just to, cl to close this thought is uh, immediately to me, everything seemed like a reaction to an incoming asteroid. And now I've been tracking this for a long, 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 long time. I have this whole Space War News section uh, where I track the the incoming bolides that cause earthquakes and sonic booms, but don't actually have a rock, and nobody can really tell what they are, and it could be space weaponry. Who knows? The X-37B is up there right now with its microwave beaming radiation down on us from the sun, and they have every ability to you know hurl meteors at the planet. So uh, that, to me, seemed like why the trigger happened at that moment and the reaction that happened. 
And so we went looking and sure enough, according to JPL's uh, uh, analytics, it shows that there was this horde of asteroids that were coming on the planet the day of lockdown. And it's it somehow we miraculously missed them all one came through one that they had no idea about like they have all these others being tracked and the one that they were making a big deal about which is uh, like a number it's like oh co 1998 um was one of the more distant ones like there were many many others when you saw the jpl uh Anal, anal analysis that there were many many others far closer than the one that they were reporting on and there was about 30 or 40 of them that were coming straight at us and then they they managed to miss us and one slipped through and and came became the closest to hitting planet earth since the dinosaurs and so all of that actually happened but nobody was paying attention to that and so i think that's was the major trigger is they really thought we were about to hit an extinction level event. And so you think that's why the moving, uh, moving forward with all this into the collective has, uh, has unraveled at this particular time on the line? I think that's what pushed their hand. You know, this has been the plan all along, and that's why yes. I've been talking about it for 12 years. And Yeah, oh yeah. Um, it's, you know, so this this is no shock. What's shocking is, is people's reaction, the, the lack of sovereignty and humanity. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, right. everyone's right in line, right in step. And this kind of echoes easy. with what Shane Bales was telling us a couple weeks ago. Tell me more. No, just that there's something coming. Yeah. yeah. From That's the, just what I've been saying as a well. A celestial event, I should mm -hmm. say. Yeah. yeah. I've put it forth in many videos. And I mean, everyone knows what I think, so I'm not here to get on all that. But it it's interesting, and I like hearing, uh, I don't want to say like, it's validating hearing how so many people are really seeing clearly what what is actually unfolding and I think this is where it it gives me personally, and I am strong in personal constitution and, and very uh, lucid, that it gives me a chill knowing what's unfolding. And so, and, and I'm also one of these people that wars have uncertain, wars are uncertain, and there's, you know, I'm I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. I, I always try to walk that center line. It's the martial arts training, I think. And uh, but it does feel very dire. And the this the further into this we get, the more obvious it is. And that's the good thing, right? Like, yes. Like my soul is screaming out that this is like a cocoon. And I have no doubts in my soul for, and I don't, I don't, you know, I can't get anyone to believe me, but I think humanity's going to blossom. Uh, and I don't know why I think that it's not like I projected or, you know, have some reason for believing that, but my soul absolutely believes that this is more of a cocoon and that we're, we will transform 
Do, do you have this this overwhelming feeling that you're trying to push through a membrane because to get, get to get through this to something else? I brought this up with Nish a couple weeks ago, if you remember. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's kind of the whole cocoon idea in a way. I just never thought of it that way. Yeah, if anything, they blew their hand, right? Like, they, they went so over the top, nobody's buying it. I mean, everybody's running around in a mask, but they're all kind of like, well, I don't really believe I need to wear this, you know? <laughs> but they they don't realize that they live in this fascist dictatorship because they don't remember what fascism is. You know, it's the right. corporations that are keeping everybody in masks. It's not the government. Right, the right, president right. doesn't wear a mask. Exactly. They're, in fact, the mandates aren't actually legal, nor can yeah. they be enforced. So it's all corporate. That's absolutely right. But it's crazy. It's pretty wild. To, <laughs> I, I didn't. I really didn't expect people to fall for it. I really didn't. It's. 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 I wish I could say. I hoped for better. Let me put it that way. Right. I also, I want to get your idea, Freeman, on humans, homo sapien sapien. What, so we understand this, the apparent science of what makes a homo sapien sapien that, but what is your idea of, of humans on this planet as opposed to say other other life forms and not not in the old school stuff of Cro-Magnum and then Neanderthal and all that. What what makes up a, a modern human to you? Well I, I I consider white man the anomaly. Like we're the freaks of nature. <laughs> we're the ones that don't belong. Right. I mean the Dogon tribe as we were talking about, they still live in mud huts. Right? I mean, you know they haven't moved and uh but white man oh my god so i've had this theory using velikovsky's uh worlds in collision and kind of combining that with exopolitics and i really do believe that the brown-skinned people were earthlings and the white-skinned people were martians and when venus came in and destroyed the atmosphere and bounced earth and mars out of their orbits uh that's the whole flood story and everything but it was probably the martian ocean so uh the story of velikovsky tells of venus coming into the solar system the great destroyer lucifer uh, that's a venus and uh yes. striking earth now there's a massive piece of earth missing you know the the pacific basin if we took the ocean away there'd be a huge chunk of the earth just gone um <clears throat> And so according to the Velikovsky story, this planet came in or, you know, comet as they called it, but Venus uh, struck the planet and then this knocked them on their belts of uh, gravitation. So Earth actually moved to where Mars is and Mars is where was where Earth is now and moved another belt and lost its oceans, lost its atmosphere in the in the move. And that ocean stayed in that uh gravitational wave that earth now uh, occupied and so the oceans of mars actually hit earth and that was the floods because the floods are told in every continent and so then 
I believe white man being haggard and coming from a high civilization of Atlantis, which was on Mars, uh, came and started colonizing this planet. Uh, and because of the, all the stories between the battles of Mars and Earth are constant through the ancient past too. You know, that's why Mars is always known as this god of war. Um, so, I, you know, the Caucasians suddenly pop up in the Caucasus Mountains. Nobody really knows where we came from. But I really do believe that this planet is somewhat of a, a seeding place of different extraterrestrial races. And... You can kind of come, you know, they each have their own star, their own, you know, like Freemasonry has Sirius, uh, China, the dragon, uh, you know, Russia and the bear, and, and they, you know, different constellations each. And then their cultures kind of follow that, you know, and you can even, I mean, if, if it doesn't sound too bad, you know, <laughs> there's more homogenization in the Asian culture, more, um, hive mind in their culture than in you know say in the west where there's just rugged individualism uh and so that fits better with the uh, the reptilian ideas and the concepts of uh hive mind think and so it you know as battlestar galactica the mormon tale of of the creation of humans on planet earth you have this different races of humans coming to planet earth and they all made off with the the neanderthals and create life on planet earth at least that was the the latest version of battlestar galactica which i'm a huge fan of all of the battlestars actually i'm just a space nut but um so <laughs> I, I really believe that life has been on planet earth for a long long time there's been rising and falling civilizations for tens of thousands of years you know i have pondered in my journeys trying to understand where I come from and what I am. And and like you have had a very fantastical life and I'm so happy that uh, it's something that the people around me can agree upon and talk about. So that's not just me saying that. And uh, And one of the things that has led me into pondering this is well, having been born with web feet and then my fear of the water, and I started to, and I'm you can see all my veins through my skin. Like, I'm so white that I was made fun of by white people. So, uh, and it's, it's, there certainly was no privilege in that, let me tell you. Uh, and so I have wondered, and just just recently, actually, as I'm trying to dig into my mother's tale, uh, what the water plays in 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 the melanin factor because i clearly am lacking in that and i clearly have some sort of strange connection to the water and yet i'm completely afraid of it I, and so i'm wondering and i i think i'd heard you speak i cannot recall like i said it was the water that brought me to you uh speak about about these these things and certainly lovecraft brings all that out and then i've you know some downloads i've had with cephalopod energy uh, but i'm i'm trying to 
wrap my head around sometimes the idea of the topic at hand, I guess, with the collective and melanated and as an unmelanated person and having a, I feel a deep connection to this earth space and never really could everyone always wants to say Pleiadian with me and all that outer stuff and you know like the tall whites and all that stuff and I it, where I could see it if you you know when we look at the photos and stuff but I or the drawings of I'm feeling more connected to the deep water for some reason and why that would play a part in my being so unmelanated and looking around and wondering if that's where the Caucasian experience could have come. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering on your ideas of what's the difference between outer space and say inner water. And I've heard you talk on the, you know, the, the water experience. In fact, I think you're talking, your, your information is probably some of the best that I've heard. Thank you. And yeah, that is a lot that of that your house out. or mine? That's not mine. I don't know what that is. So it sounds like a sheep in your house. A dolphin. <laughs> oh, dolphin. Isn't that weird? I have no it's idea being. what that is. It's a dolphin call. So your cat? I have no, I don't know. But you got rabbits, maybe it's a chicken. You got like all kinds of animals in your house. Who knows what the fuck it is? I have a little permaculture setup, but there's only the poodles in here with me. Anyway, back to but you. Yeah, that, I mean, the biggest difference between Homo sapien and, and well, apes uh, is that we swim, right? We have webbed fingers and toes, and we our hair flows with water and uh, you know, gorillas, they, they don't swim. They, they don't have webbed fingers. They're not designed for water. So it does seem at some point we were adapted to amphibian. And I've always naturally felt amphibian. If I had gills, I would not feel weird at all. Like it would totally seem normal to me. And I thought I had gills as a kid. Like I say, I would just sit at the bottom of the pool all the time. Uh, yeah, you seem kindred to me very much so. So there's definitely a merfolk connection between, you know, a, a separation that makes us amphibious where gorillas are not. Uh, what about the whole aquatic ape idea? I don't really know that well enough to. It was a theory put forth by, I can't remember the guy's name because I'm old now. I forget his name. It was um, like a oh, BBC Jerry, you just triggered me. Thank you. I forgot his name. But no, Jerry. Oh, what? Wait, wait, wait. It's Freeman, what's your uh, astrological sign? Cancer. Is that a, is that a water sign? <laughs> yes, yeah. it's water. Yeah, it's I my favorite. Know, as deep cancer as you can get. <laughs> it's uh, the crab. <laughs> I'm as cancer as cancer is. <laughs> yeah. I'm a cancer cancer. What is your idea on, so with all this, and this ties into the water stuff too, but time travel and immortality and immortality is something i speak on a lot too it's something i, I always came in knowing I, I had a knowing of it and like you i wasn't indoctrinated into religious ideology with with those thoughts so i had to come to to that later i had to search for that what is 
where are you with that as possible? And uh, and it, it could be tied into the transhuman thing, but I think before we had the transhuman movement, the immortalist society and all that, we have Egypt, we have Sumer, we have cuneiform. Right. The life cycles seem to have been quite a bit longer, according to the ancient text. And any ancient text you look at, humanity lived a lot longer. That would be bizarre. I don't know. See, like, I've always wondered, would I even want to live? I, I suppose it depends on how you feel, huh? But if you got to work every single day, if you live on a prison planet, you know, who wants to live 500 years and have to slave away at McDonald's for the rest of the time? You know, um, there. The opposite of that is that we get wiped. You know this. What do you mean? We get wiped. So, I mean, I, I feel like we do at least the idea that I feel within me that resonates the most is we don't die and we get somehow recycled or wiped. So whether we're in the physical, we, right. on the Catherine will here physically, we are definitely spiritually somehow bound as, as enslaved, but yeah, being wiped. I, I believe we come into the 3D to have experience that then alters our frequency so that when we return to the all, uh, we bring back all that frequency. You know, it's God learning about himself in a way. So I've, I've felt like um, I could live on numerous planets. I've always had a connection to Pallades, even before I knew of Palladians and anybody else having connections to Pallades. I've always looked up at the Seven Sisters and longed uh, for home. I don't know why, but, um, you know, I kind of feel like that movie, the beautiful green where they asked, you know, who wants to go to earth and everybody put their head down. And then one foolish person was like, yeah, I want to go. And I think I was that foolish person, but you know, in that way, like you, I've come here for the experience. So there's no good and bad, really. It's more just experience. It doesn't matter where I'm doing, you know, what I'm doing or where I'm at. There's no victim mentality involved because it's all experience. Absolutely. Oh, 100% with you on that. There's I, the good, bad thing is makes me laugh. It's so funny that, I mean, that's all perspective and where you are as opposed, you know, with what's happening to you and that the cliches, the spider and the fly. I mean, <laughs> come on. Uh, yeah, that, that, this is intriguing. And then, uh, so I guess before we take questions, I also am curious about where, and, and we've been, we've been dancing this already. And these last couple ponders have, have played with it, but the idea of death and that is a state that is a that is a state a field as well what what do you think that is and how does it play into all of this i'm just suddenly remembering yesterday i had some strange old lady walk into my house she thought she was home she walked in started grabbing pillows 
and oh, wow. never seen this lady you know just all of a sudden the door opens door closes i don't know what you know and finally go up to look to see what's going on and there's this lady walking around my house completely lost she had no idea uh no one it it took hours to for the police to figure out who she was and where she was supposed to be um yeah and then i just took care of my mom as she was dying and uh you know, she completely forgot who I was and didn't know and would tell me, you know, how great her daughter was and how I needed to meet her and stuff. And she thought I was a hospice worker and eventually was speaking German because that's my, my mom's from Germany. Um, so that kind of <laughs> a little confusing, but, you know, I played the role for a long time with her Well, for a few weeks before she died uh, as a hospice worker, you know, I, didn't want to confuse her and make her think that uh you know like hey i'm your son you know um but i i yeah i, I wouldn't want to be here that much longer i i feel like the elite are seeking this transhumanist agenda because their souls are burnt and they have nothing to go to when they're done. Like they're just burnt. They're they're purgatory or whatever. And so they're seeking to, to extend their lives as long as possible so they don't have to pay the piper. Um but for me, I'm just ready to go to the next experience and the next thing. And you know, like I said, I always wanted to be a spaceman, you know, that was my my childhood. I just want to keep going, you know. Let's send me to the next one. I'm ready. This one was a wild ride. I couldn't have asked for a more wild ride than planet Earth, that's for sure. And I have loved every minute of it. Now, I'll throw out one more thing that's just kind of bizarre about my life is it followed the tarot. So as I started to travel, I, I was making juggling sticks. I just suddenly, I saw a set at a friend's house and said, I can make those. He's like, really? <laughs> he bought me all the stuff to make them. And suddenly I was selling juggling sticks faster than I could make them, you know, from this guy's bedroom. And uh, so I decided, oh, I, you know what? I could take these anywhere and just wander the earth. <laughs> so let me just make up a bunch of juggling sticks and jump in a van and go somewhere. I had no idea where I was going. And as soon as I went to jump in the van, this little black and white spotted dog starts pawing at my ankle exact tarot card of the fool the beginning the story the zero the everything as he is about to leap off a cliff is he gonna fall or fly uh, is the dog joining him or warning him and that very dog the very very dog from the white raider you know, rider tarot deck was was pawing at my ankle and decided to to come with me he followed me for years i never leashed him i never uh, the, the people, he was waiting at my friend's door for three days. When I showed up to say goodbye, they were like, God, that dog's still sitting here. And then the dog just attached itself to me and never left my side for another four years till I landed in, or maybe even five years. I don't know. But I landed in, in Lawrence, Kansas, which is the exact dead center of the United States. Uh, it's um, the first free state, you know, where freedom comes from, uh, slavery and all of that. Anyway, um, and I inherited that magician's library. Uh, actually, he just left it in my van and left. And so I had the entire Crowley and 
works of the Golden Dawn and all of the magic texts uh, to understand what the occult really was, what magic actually is, you know. And so that's the next card, the magician. And so suddenly the dog vanished, right? So now I was on to the magician and Yin just vanished. It was very, very, very sad. And that morning when he was gone, all the dogs in the neighborhood came and climbed into my couch with me and just consoled me. It was amazing. It was bizarre. Uh, but I've had like that sort of connection with animals all the time. Um, like I lived at this house with <laughs> for 9-11. I had uh, like four cats, uh, an iguana, a cockatiel, uh, two or three dogs, and, you know, just uh, <laughs> whole horde of animals sleeping on top of me. They never left me. The cockatiel would not leave my head. It, it didn't have clipped wings. No matter how much I threw that thing away, it just kept right back on my head. I'd forget the damn thing was there. I'd walk around, go outside and stuff. And the iguana would warm itself on me and I'd wake up with the iguana warming on me, cats and dogs all in between my legs while the cockatiel's cleaning my eyelashes with its beak. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what a way to wake up. But when I walked out of that house and went back on the road, all the animals followed me and, and a lot of them died. I hate to say it, but uh, oh, the wow. iguana has left, the bird flew away, Every, everything tried to find me. The cats used to hoard behind me. I've never had cats like, you know, an entire troop of them would just follow me. So this was like, you know, something that's always been me. I've always been connected. So eventually I moved on to the goddess with the whole Columbia story and, and discovering the fish people. And that was the next tarot. So I just kept kind of moving through the tarot cards without meaning to and without, you know, with the universe just providing everything. So that was kind of bizarre. You're, you're definitely a beautiful person, Freeman, definitely. And I, you know, I can see that. And the animals never let us down with those markers. You can always tell when the animals love someone or follow. And, the, and this includes the bees and, the, and, you know, the insect world as well. I had a hummingbird eye me yesterday. It hovered right <laughs> there at my face level and just stared me down. And it, you know, not in a bad way. I was just like, oh my God, I'm like eye to eye with this hummingbird right now. <laughs> and it just stood there, just you know, flapping. It was They're amazing. Well, you had that dream early on where you were flying, you know, where you did yeah. hummingbird movements. Yeah, we got, we got some stuff in common. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if Jerry's got, I've, you know, I'm not in there in the I chat. Do. So. Oh, okay, I do. cool. I wanted to share something with you guys first, though. Lay it on us, Jerry. <laughs> I love it. All right. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I made that after I was talking about. All right, anyway. I got some questions here. So um someone wants to know, did you know that Kate Bush uses fish people for her personal record label and if it means anything to you? Wait, say that again? Kate Bush, the singer. Okay. Uses fish people for her personal record label. Huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about Kate Bush. So. I yeah, actually did not know that. Did that come from a cult fan? Of course. Oh, Nathan Lee. Yay. <laughs> um, I didn't know that, and I love Kate Bush. I hate Kate Bush. Oh my God, she's been the love of my life since she was out. It's anyway. like her, her voice is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Oh, she's etheric. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> uh, next my question. My favorite was, is. Uh... Go ahead. Uh, Devin Townsend project, uh, their album Transcendence. 
I, I highly recommend that. All right, well, oh, I'll link it in the show notes. All right. So, I'm terrible with names, so I may already know it. No, nobody knows Devin Townsend. Uh, okay. And as soon as they made that album, the band broke up. Like they okay. made the best. It's a heavy metal album, but uh, it's beautiful. Oh, I'll check it out. Though. Transcendence. It's in the show notes already. All nice. right. Uh, let's see. Next question regarding the Dogons. What do you know th- or think about the idea of the Nomo or the Numo beings? Well, that's that's the fish beings, the repulsive abominations mm-hmm. that would slither up, you know, and, and it just goes back to H.P. Lovecraft again. And I I can't quite sort that out because, um, you know, the darker side of H.P. Lovecraft versus the brighter side of helpful alien fish beings. Um, yeah, but they're definitely this whole thing, you know, the Cthulhu mythos. It it ties into the dark magic. Uh, there is darkness there. Fits fits everything so well. Like Dagon, if you've ever yep. seen the movie Dagon. Yep. Oh yeah. I I had that in the original Columbia episode, but they wouldn't allow me to put that on Google, and then later YouTube. Bastards. Uh, so you've never, and no one has ever seen the original version of Columbia. Which I also was on mushrooms at that time. You should put it on BitChute. Uh, I'd have to try and find it again. I, you know, people don't use the old stuff enough. Yeah. To, to make it worthwhile, but maybe I could throw it up on my Vimeo channel or something. There you go. There you go. And was it you that was talking? This is a side question for me. Was it you who brought up the? Um, oh, what was it? The, the oil platform in the Gulf that went down. Yeah, yeah. Was some yeah. kind of ritual to Cthulhu? Was that you that said yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It's right there in the in the works of the Church of Satan. Uh, if you read the rituals of the Church of Satan, they say to call Cthulhu, you need uh, an oil rig. And uh, if you have an oil spill, it's even better. Or an oil eruption. Deepwater Horizon, that was it. Deepwater Horizon, yeah. So it it actually is outlined in the rituals of the Church of Satan. Yeah, interesting. All right, last question was, what do you think about archons? Real, fake? I'm 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 okay with the idea. Gnosticism, I I kind of get it, and I could see Yahweh as the crazy god. You know, it's not too hard for me to flip that script. Um, but uh. It it definitely seems that the elite have contact with the nine or whatever you know, Lom, and so uh, I do I do believe that ritual magic is like especially the Ordo Templi Orientis, the same group of of Crowley and and who most of Hollywood belong to. Um, that's the true sex magic if people don't know and then they have the typhon right the typhonian right. order wasn't that kind of came after crowley though didn't kind of it did uh, yeah it was kenneth grant kenneth grant did it you know there's this dude out there whose name is tim refat are you familiar with him yeah he talks about um it's complicated and i don't want to get into it right now but it's really interesting shit about how the Kenneth Grant version of the Tree of Life is in reverse, so people are yeah. are, are doing it wrong. But all that that Typhonian stuff is 
you know, basically demonic. But yeah, the, the Leviathan, that, yes. Typhon. The, the fact that it's in reverse in uh, the book of his, which outlines all that, the Kabbalah stuff, makes people do it wrong and they get trapped in it, like their energy gets trapped in it. Right. It's, yeah. His, his stuff's real interesting. I don't know if it's true. It's interesting to hear, though. Anyway. Oh, that's right. And then Crowley didn't close up any of that. And they were about to turn his Loch Ness uh, castle into a sex retreat. <laughs> I heard and that. It burnt to the ground. Hold on. I have one more question. I didn't. I missed it, apparently. Yeah. And um, Parsons, Jack Parsons, too. They did their little Babylon working. That was probably still left open. Yeah, like all of that stuff happened around where uh, they caught Ghislaine Maxwell. In the desert? No, in uh, um, New Hampshire. Oh. Like Cthulhu mythos, the Benny, Betty and Barney Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Montauk. Uh, they're all right there. <laughs> where uh, Exeter, uh, all you... kinds of UFO connections to where she was picked up. Have you seen Chris Knowles' stuff on that? He's mapped it out. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, here's yeah. the other questions from uh, Keats. Uh, what do we do to transcend? Pointing out the wound is one thing. Ailing it is very much everything else. Yeah, the world needs a really big hug. Yeah. Everybody would just cry <laughs> really hard. <laughs> Work on your uh, shadow. You know, the the truth is, is that there is this miraculous life that we could all live. I had the great pleasure of experiencing it by just being a fool and going out into the world and finding out that something loves me <laughs> and it makes mm. sure that the universe opens everything for me. And once you realize that, then life takes on a whole new purpose. But obviously, everything that's going on is to combat that. So the Celestine prophecies, you know, he took uh, what he was learning in, in the academia and wrote it in story form. And the whole ideas of synchronicity and the bonding of energies and all of that and our, our sucking of one each other's souls, uh, all of that is, is exactly what my life was. And so I was so happy when the, when the Celestine prophecies came out because I finally had a way to explain to people what I was doing. And so he does a great story in that where the, the character is literally running from harp. And I don't even think he knew of harp when he wrote it, but everything he describes coming from China and all of this um, is exactly right. So everything that we see going on with social distancing, distance learning, masks and everything is the perfect way to stop the synchronistic realms, you know? I can't unmute. Yeah. That makes sense. Right. Well, that's all the questions I have. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been unbelievably awesome. Yeah, it was it was a nice change to talk about dream time and uh and not everything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean I really do think there there is a blossoming of, of humanity. I really can't help that. Cause I've seen so much good, so much good in all my travels. And I have seen so much great people and 
Obviously, what they're doing right now is because they just care too much. As I watched the battles in Los Angeles just the other weekend, they were busy fighting over who cared for life more. You know, no, you, you, <laughs> you know, Planned Parenthood, no, Black Lives Matter, Planned Parenthood, you know, and yeah. they were fighting over who cares more. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but it's a good sign. And I really, really, really do have belief that, that humanity will use this as the massive turning point. It's just too much. I can't see us going into the dystopia. I can't, my brain doesn't accept it. It, it just doesn't believe it possible for us to slip that hard. Well, I love, I really, one of the things I'm taking away from this uh, wonderful chat with you, Freeman, is your statement earlier that something loves me. And I think that is such an, uh, as a mantra that is, because I have, I feel the same way. There's no way I've gotten through everything crazy that I've gone through with the three seconds from death here and there. And, without that thought that something something does love me and I'm kind of like the you know the parentless child and I didn't really get that good experience so it and I have come to that those are powerful words and it doesn't have to be someone something out there loves you something there is that energy in this experience and to acknowledge it is quite a powerful act of self self-worth and self-magic so yeah this has been wonderful thank you for for sharing your time and wonderful wonderful stories with us thank you thank you guys this was a good time right and when you're ready to get back to the woo we'll have you on the obelisk sometime yes. <laughs> all right i'm always ready for the woo you know well, it's women in the woo right. <laughs> So thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Be sure to tune in next week. We'll have an obelisk coming up with our guest, Max Egan. Should be pretty interesting. Hear all about what's, folks. What's that? And also, how COVID can people... Folks. COVID folks. Uh, get... I, I lived mean, with I, him for a little while. Just, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I knew you and Max were close. How can people that are, may not, this may sound strange, yeah. may not know who you are, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, you know who doesn't know who I am is people in the research field. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, freemantv.com is the website, and uh, Freeman TV on everything, Freeman Fly. Just Google Freeman Fly, and you'll find everything that I'm on. But of course, I'm banned from Facebook, I'm banned from Reddit, I'm banned from, you know, <laughs> I've stopped posting to YouTube. I, uh, so you're only going to find me on Twitter, on my website, and on YouTube. But if you go to my YouTube, use the playlists because I'm not allowed to upload my own videos. Never have been. I'm one of the original, you know, Googlers uh, back in the day. I was, you know, millions and millions of views on Google. But so when I, I was put in a special platform when I got to YouTube because they already knew who I was. But so anyway, I can't uh, use the playlist or if you, because there's a lot of videos that are, come from other people's sites channels that are my work that I can't put on my own channel and uh, also run the videos backwards you know if you go to the video section run them from oldest to newest because that's where it all is it all starts there and then you, then you're up to now but you can't start now and you got to go all the way back so uh, freemantv.com is the website to go check it out and just anything freeman tv or freeman fly that's me
And all these links are in the description if you didn't remember all that stuff. So. And they'll be in the show notes too, so anyone can find them. Right. Well, thanks again. It's been a great talk. Oh, if someone wanted to know what episode of Dan Fogler's 4D experience you were on, could you tweet it? Uh, it's in my Twitter feed, but it was, it was you know, back when that first comment was coming in, back when General Shaughnessy was just getting into Cheyenne Mountain. So uh, you'd have to scroll down a bit um, because I don't know. Okay. <laughs> it's in his Twitter feed. You can search it on Twitter. So anyway, thank you so much again. Thanks, Nish. It's a great show. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week.